This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Nassim Taleb is a literary essayist, hedge fund manager, derivatives trader, and professor of risk engineering at the Polytechnic Institute, New York University. But he is best known these days as the author of The Black Swan, The Impact of the Highly Improbable. During a recent visit to Wharton as part of the Goldstone Forum, he spoke with Wharton finance professor Richard Herring, who taught Taleb when he was a Wharton MBA student, about events in the Middle East, the oil supply, investing in options, the U.S. economy, the dollar, health care, and of course, black swans. We're delighted to to welcome Nassim Taleb back to Wharton. It's been much too long since we've seen you here, but uh, we've certainly been reading about you. Um, It's uh, really a remarkable career that you've had, both in terms of its range and in terms of its its impact. Um, I can recall when you were a student here that you always had a philosophical bent of mind, and we're always sort of probing how we knew what we knew and what we didn't know. And uh, I think that, that your further career has really explored those limits very nicely. Thank you. Um, your first bestseller, uh, Fooled by Randomness, was, uh, I think, a wonderful reminder to us all that we know a lot less than we think we do about who's competent and who's not. And there can have been probably no better real-life illustration of it than, than the um, crisis we've all been through in which lots of people that we thought were enormously competent and took very, very big bonuses turned out not to really have made profits at all. But um, you were thinking about an even earlier era, and I guess the problems in evaluating who's good at financial management. Yeah, it was, I mean, the, the, the fool by randomness was actually much more general than finance. It was the, the fact that we cannot identify skills um, because of sampling error, it, it's a very—it's what I, I call it—the the easy problem of uh, statistical knowledge because it's easy to solve. It is very curable. That's a, I had two problems, of course. Uh, the black swan, the second problem, much more difficult to cure. But the fool by randomness one, we can deal with it. We can definitely uh, exercise some skepticism in some cases, not others. It's, of course, more general than finance, more general than management. Do you know if a general won a war because he was a good general or he won a war because he was lucky, okay? Of course, you'd better rather be lucky than, uh, than, than good, of course, <laughs> yes. particularly if you're in war. But the, uh, the, 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 so the problem is much more, of course, general than finance, but it has wonderful solutions, and, and, and a lot of people have approached these solutions. The, the black swan problem is a complete different problem, vastly deeper, and doesn't have uh, solutions that do, do not entail a total revamping of some architectures in yes. some environment, which is, why, which is why I'm having a rough time getting the message across with the black swan. It's actually, full well, I don't know. I think you've had a, actually a, a wonderful success in getting at least the fundamental message across. I've heard people in, who have no relation to finance talk about, are we facing a black swan here, which is um, a wonderful contribution because fractal theory is very, very difficult. To, that's true, but, 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 the, the, but, most, but most of it, what I've been fighting with the black swan is really the understanding of, of the true message, which is that you cannot predict some environment in which rare events are not predictable. Yes. And uh, uh, don't don't think that there is an alternative probability distribution or new statistics or fractal not fractal that can cure it. it will not. There are domains where you have to worry, and this is a map 
of where our uh, quantitative knowledge works. And outside this map, I'm sorry to say, <laughs> we should venture, right? So that was that, which was the message means that we should be robust to black swan in some environments, just as Mother Nature does. Now, so the second part of the message, I've had a rough time getting it across, because most people think that they want they can predict black swan that they with uh, quantitative sophistication they can get answers. They don't get the idea that we need to revamp things to be more robust. Mm. That they are, and 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 once you figure out. Uh, it, once you accept the notion of robustness, then everything flows from it because there's there, there's a unique uh, shape to that world. And and when I I, I wrote that um, I rewrote second edition of the Black Swamp, I wrote that op-ed and, 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 and outlining ten points simply because you know vulgar op-eds require vulgar uh, <laughs> concept. Okay, ten points, not seven points, not fifteen points. Right. You can always <laughs> express whatever you want in ten points, seven points if you want. All right, and say the same thing. But I had that ten points for a black swan robust um, world, and and the map is quite unique of what to do. Like you have to avoid having things fail too late. You have to avoid debt because debt fragilizes systems. You have to increase redundancies in some spaces. You have to avoid optimization. And that's quite critical for someone who's doing finance because Indeed. it goes uh, uh, counter to everything you learn in, in, in portfolio theory. You know, that Markowitz doesn't work. You need one over N uh, heuristic, not I Markowitz. remember you were skeptical about that even in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, I was, I mean, uh, the, 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 I was, I've always been very skeptical of any form of optimization. And, and then here, it, 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 Black Swan Robust world, world in which you don't have that class of optimization. You have something else. You have heuristics. So that world has unique characteristics, and hopefully, the, that message will come, will go, will 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 get across because it has not gotten across yet. People talk about black swans, but they don't talk about robustness. The black swans. No, I would agree that that um, you've sort of raised the threshold of of interest in black swans, and certainly the attention to looking for them, but. Um, it is a very tough problem to know what to do. The volume to which you've contributed, the, the known, the unknown, and the unknowable uh, in financial management, where you um, did a wonderful piece on mild versus wild randomness that had many of these features, um, raised a similar question. And I guess the best the volume came out with was flexibility, which is a little like redundancy, and um, diversification. But that's hard to know in a world where you have wild randomness going on, which may include correlations. That's true. The, 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 the way I worked it, uh, you know, the, in that volume, uh, the late Benoit Mendelbrot, uh, and I contributed to the explanation, this is mild randomness, statistics work. You can optimize everything you know works beautifully. You don't even have to modify anything. And this is wild randomness. Sorry, but the limits of your knowledge enter here. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people have used that uh, wild randomness called fractal theory or power laws or Levy's table, class of uh, distribution, to try to calibrate and, and produce science. And my approach is that you cannot calibrate because small little changes in parameters make probabilities explode. Okay, so don't waste your time. I'm only using this as an argument, not as a computational tool. And the second, uh, that for the second class of randomness, of course, the message doesn't come across because now a lot of people send me messages about uh, uh, email messages about how to optimize something or how to calibrate the alpha of a power law. Well, we all not want really, to be exactly yeah, right. Exactly, everybody wants to be exactly right, but it's okay if if it's just for entertainment. That's okay. Yeah. As to lead to uh, risk taking, no. So. 
We, we did that in, in, in that volume, and, and thanks a lot. We also spoke about, uh, the, I, I think the most important uh, piece of that message is, is when we spoke about, discussed what we call pre-asymptotics, in the sense that everything you learn in statistics about probability distribution only works at the asymptote, at the limit. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, you reach that limit very quickly, as with the binomial distribution, and, but in most cases, you only reach it after a million years, right? So, and uh, you know what happens, you know, for economists, particularly after a million years, they're all dead. <laughs> so, or, uh, you know, in paradise, uh, hopefully, okay. So we have um, to go to the next uh, level uh, of raising it and, and to really start to identify what is vulnerable, what is not. Like, we know that solar energy is not vulnerable to black swans. But new, the nuclear one, as just discovered, is vulnerable to black swans. The one in a million year accident has happened eight years into... We uh, seem to have had, over the last six weeks, a number of black swans flying through our uh, global universe. Uh, you know a lot about the area. Not, they were not black swans. The, the, the Middle East ones are not black swans. Actually, I discuss them. And, and, and their grayer swans are perhaps white swan unavoidable. Uh, what happens is that when you go into the wild randomness, and that's one characteristic mm -hmm. that Mandelbrot has insisted on, you will notice quiet, long quiet periods punctuated with absolute total turmoil. Well, you could think about the great moderation that preceded exactly. that. Exactly, the late moderation. Which, and they may well have been related. Uh, they were related. And, and just like you try to manufacture stability, it, and then you remove the lid just a little bit, and the thing explodes. You have the same in the least. Actually, in the black swan, I discussed Saudi Arabia as a prime case. Mm -hmm. That and great modulation in the same, in the same breath. It's the same as uh, I was comparing Italy, okay, which in fact is mild randomness to Saudi Arabia and Syria, wild randomness, by saying Italy has 60 regimes, but you know, they're inconsequential, That's right? right. It seems to be a country that functions well with no government. Exactly. <laughs> it functions, it's a prime example of, of noise, right? There's more noise. It's, it's very Italian. Uh, a lot of noise, uh, elegant noise, but it's just noise, okay? Whereas Saudi Arabia had the same regime, <laughs> and Syria had the same, the same person in charge, or his family, same family in charge for 40-some <laughs> years, okay? And then, of course, you think it's stability. It's not stability, you know, because once you remove the lid, the yeah. thing explodes. The same thing for finance. You take the portfolio of banks, quiet, quiet, great moderation, and the thing explodes. So, but the thing, ex, we can identify ex ante these situations. Yeah, I would agree that, that people knew the area was um, very vulnerable to turmoil because of the demographics, very young population, the widespread unemployment, the dissatisfaction with regimes that were getting geriatric, and, and uh, the distribution of income. But knowing how it would unfold and knowing that somebody immolating themselves in a market in Tunisia would lead to uh, this widespread uh, discontent, we still don't know how it will end, is a, a really remarkable uh, occurrence that I think would be very difficult to predict in any way. Definitely. And, and, and it, it actually teaches us to try not to predict a catalyst because you had to predict a catalyst, which is the most foolish thing in the world, but try to identify Okay, uh, areas like when I say the bridge is fragile, I can't predict which truck is going to break it. Yeah. But I so I have to look at it more in a, in a structural form. Uh, what what physicists call percolation approach. You you study the terrain, you don't study the the components. You see, in finance, we study the random walk. Physicists study percolation. They study the terrain. 
not a drunk person walking around, <laughs> but the evolution of the terrain itself, because uh -huh. everything's dynamic. That's percolation. And then you learn not to try to predict which truck is going to break that bridge. Right. But you just look at bridges and say, oh, this bridge doesn't have a great foundation. This one does. And this one needs to be reinforced. And, and we can do a lot with that notion of robustness. Going back to the yes. Middle East, what yes. would you do in a case where you have, um, and I would certainly agree with your notion that, that it does and has for some time looked like a, uh, an area on the very verge of doing something quite tra radical. But how would you suggest that people deal with that kind I, of? I, I actually wrote a, a, just wrote a, a something in, in foreign affairs. Hmm. It's coming out soon, and uh, and it's it's literally a, taking a few sentences from Black Swan, developing, and, and you want to transform everything into Italy. Oh, <laughs> okay. In my tableau of robustness versus fragility, you see, I say the nation state, a powerful nation state, is very fragile. Yeah. Top down, bottom up, uh, city state is very very robust. Uh, uh, the uh, just like debt fragilizes you. Equity is very robust. We had a crisis in 2000, equity crisis, equity bubble, no big effect, but you had a debt crisis. And continued with the same reasoning, they're talking about uh, I want, uh, I'd rather have a little bit of turmoil, political turmoil, because then noise rises to the surface. Okay, it was a very bad idea to prevent the Islamic fundamentalists. Now, I'm talking to me, and I'm Christian from the Near East, mm -hmm. right? So we've been living in this environment now for 14 centuries, okay? And we understand you, you don't stifle. You let them rise and see and let people, because you're actually, you're actually strengthening. It's a hydra effect. I call it anti-fragility. You beat on, 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 on the fundamentalist, you, you are you're their promoter. Mm. You see, so it's not a good idea. You should let everyone partake of the political process and make it messy. Yeah, and just like people go to the health club, it's a painful experience. I mean, for me at least, and it's not a very pleasant experience to be experienced. But but it makes you stronger. Yeah. You see, you should let uh, that noise rise. Because if you stifle the nose for a long time, you'll have, you know, the it thing can erupt in all sorts of... It can erupt. The, the second uh, myth that, that uh, I'd like to debunk about, about revolutions, and I went after the story of a revolution and read a few books, among which one beautiful book by a guy called Jean-Nicolas. It was talking about all the French, uh, because the French national sport was rebelling, right? right? <laughs> La Rébellion Française. And then I looked at the revolution that have happened. And I realized that the places that are vulnerable aren't places where you have a lower class that's starving. You see? Because you just give them a little bit of bread and they're comfortable. Right. right. The ones who want to take power are usually the... the, the it, that's what, what James calls... Yeah. No, no. The, the, the silver medal. The silver medal who counterfactuals up. Okay, mm -hmm. versus the bronze medal, counterfactuals down, and the ones who didn't get a medal, all right? Yeah. So, so, so really, it's that upper middle class, like in Saudi Arabia, that's deprived of power, that's extremely resentful of the royal family, because mm -hmm. they're close to them, they see them, they encounter them, rather than the, the lower classes. And, and so I'm, I don't think it's famine or anything, because a country like Bahrain doesn't have... Uh, you know, economic problems. Um, people may say it's uh, religious or ethnic, but uh, or or uh, other places where you have resentment comes from 
usually the educated upper middle class, like the French Revolution. Mm -hmm. They feel they're being blocked. By they the, feel they're the, being blocked, the, exactly. Currently. And they feel resentful, they feel mm -hmm. the jealousy. They feel it's a symptom of the one who counterfactuals up. Yeah. So, and this is what will eventually uh, threaten Saudi Arabia, is people saying that there are between seven and 15,000 extended relatives of the king, members of the royal family who own the place. Yeah. Literally, technically, they own the place. Okay, the private purse is their purse. The public purse is their purse. And, and if you're an upper middle class, so, so these are the, the, the spots that are the most fragile. Now, how would you suggest, knowing that, that um, you think about things like the supply of oil or... Uh, I, I, I mean, we should Making direct investments in, the, in Saudi Arabia or military okay. alliances? I, I, I think that an oil shock would be very good because we need to be trained to finally give up on these stupid uh, cars. Or, uh, you, know, uh, you know, we have so many alternative sources mm -hmm. and uh, people are too lazy and we need a little bit of, uh, <clears throat> I call it in, in, my new, in my next book, the second volume of The Black Swan is called Anti-Fragility. Ah, wonderful. Yeah, exactly yeah. how you can move Great. from wild so, randomness into mild randomness by creating so this some... So grand pattern. I like Exactly. That. So, so it's called anti-fragility, which is a response to black swan. Uh -huh. It's robustness, fragility, and anti-fragility. It's not robustness. It's beyond. It's like hormesis. You see, you give someone a little bit of poison, it gets stronger. Uh, economic life gets stronger, not with bailouts, but with bankruptcies. <laughs> yeah. You see, uh, the, the evolution works not with, uh, you know, with bailouts. There's no bailouts in nature, but with competition and, and natural, with, selection. Uh, natural selection. So you, you need to have some stressors, introduce stressors. And we have not been stressed enough about oil prices. And, and it led to a horrible situation of the U.S. government, okay, with all, you know, the, 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 the humanists that they have exhibited in Kosovo and other places, and now eventually in Libya, okay? Mm -hmm. At the same time, look at this uh, the, the economy, supporting a royal family, that's an entire tribe, running a place, given its name to, that took over Saudi Arabia, given its name to a place, okay? That's the most unstable thing and the most, uh, the most backward of, of regimes in the world, okay? Simply in the name of oil. So you, you realize uh, that you have some, uh, some uh, uh, schizophrenia as far as uh, foreign, I mean, there's a lot of uh, Western sure. governments are behaving, you see. So uh, we need a little bit of oil shock, and we need also to learn who you But it requires more than a shock, on. doesn't it? Sorry? Because we, it requires more than a shock, doesn't it? Because we've had those before. We and had an oil shock. At some point, it led to some improvement of car, you remember, the yeah, past. Yeah. It had some consciousness, and then the thing came back. Because, in uh, fact, the price of oil in real terms was even lower than it was in the, just after the OPEC increase. And so um, the, the motives for making substitutions just weren't there. I, I see. But, but do you think, do you think that, that uh, we'll eventually wean ourselves from that uh, nasty product, uh, dark product found on the ground? Uh, one hopes. Um, but it, it's hard to see how... Um, given the reality of the way we've built American society with remote suburbs and interstate highways linking everything, how we can make a very quick substitution out of, out of the petroleum-based economy. But you're absolutely right. It's got to be faced. I see. And it's a kind of... Um, this, is, this is exactly uh, this is the fragility of having depending yes, on one source. Yes. One, one product rather than more than one. One over end heuristic versus optimization. It's optimal to use oil 
visibly, but it's more dangerous. So anything that is optimized, that's in my new book, I, I focus on optimization. Mm -hmm. And about uh, almost 99 cases out of 100, when your optimization makes you vulnerable and fragile. Yeah, to the extent you become more specialized and more and, specialized in things, yeah. and it works better on the numbers look better, but your hidden risks rise, rise, and then when when you're faced with a problem, you you don't know how to, what to do about it. Yeah. Whereas uh, you're in, in 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 other cases, you have more variations all the time, you have more fluctuations, and 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 of course, you're a lot more robust. So you would advocate investing in options because you don't know which one you're going to need in. Exactly. I mean, my anti-fragility is long option. I mm -hmm. learned here at Wharton, and I'm honored to be back in, in, in uh, almost the same building. So it's like uh, it 20, 20 feet away. I was in Vance Hall uh, in a class uh, with Professor Mendelssohn uh, years ago. Yes. I sat in his class, and it was the first option class, and I saw the graph. And, and since then, everything for me became long optionality or short optionality. Oh, he would have been delighted to know that. <laughs> and, and I made, of course, I started my career as an option trader. I retired several times from an option trader trying to generalize the concept. And I was writing the black swan. You see, I, I, I wanted to explain randomness. I ended up was fooled by randomness first. <laughs> this is how I ended up with the book. And, then, and the black swan, at some point I had to stop, but I wanted to take the concept to long optionality. Yeah. And my anti-fragility is long optionality. And I view the world into neutral options, long options, short options. See, and anti-fragile means love volatility, phylostochastic, love stochasticity, love disorder. And when you're long option, you love disorder. Yeah. And, that I, and that was the thing that hit me then. Gee, this product likes disorder, likes volatility. That's certainly you true. See? An option, if you long it. There's nothing worse than having a calm, stable market if you're a volatility exactly. trader. Exactly. If you're a volatility trader or if you long an option, an option benefits the first thing that determines the value of an option. Most options, it's not the spot price, the, uh, the, uh, the underlying price. It's the sigma, the volatility, particularly when the option is remote. Yeah. Uncertainty benefits an option. And, and it's hard to explain to people that, that there are systems that love uncertainty. Evolution loves uncertainty. Economic life loves uncertainty, but we don't know it. But people don't seem to. I mean, if there's one thing that politicians seem to be riveted on right now, it's the uncertainty of, of employment, for example, that uh, uh, we seem to have uh, jobless recoveries and there are arguments about whether we've actually had an Im improvement in statistics just now or whether it's no, no, just more discouraged. We did not have, we had, but we had money, uh, printing money that, that uh, I mean, when you have, uh, is you, did your tax base improve? No. You visibly, otherwise we wouldn't have $1.3 trillion yeah. uh, expenses. So we're fragilizing ourselves by fooling ourselves with numbers. So instead of green shoots, you see parachutes all around. <laughs> so you're going to eventually going to, to pay it back. Yeah. That's uh, fake growth, sort of like Madoff-style growth. Is it gross? Well, it looked like gross, but it's not really gross if you discount it by the probability of having to pay it back. And the trajectory for several major countries, not least the United States, is more and more debt. Not, yeah, but the thing is we're the worst here because, yeah. uh, I mean, before us we had Greece and Ireland, and they've been yelled at, okay, and they're doing something about it. And here we have now in Congress uh, people bickering over 60 billion. Yeah. We have 1.5 trillion, not 1.2 trillion, because we have the investment. I mean, the, the way they account for the deficit, is some of it is deficit and some of it is investment, but we still have to come up with 1.5 trillion. Yeah. You're going to find someone 
And it may be even more than that because there's an awful lot of funny and, accounting that goes behind the, the numbers, and, not least of which was in the healthcare plan. Of course, you have hidden liabilities, you have hidden contingent liabilities. As option traders, we know that it's an option. When you sell an option, you have a liability, particularly if it's in the money. Even if accounting-wise, it doesn't show. So we have we're worse off than than Europe because Europe has about half the deficit we do have uh, as a whole. Yeah, but w- people forget that Europe has. At the center, Germany. I mean, Europe, at least the Eurozone, has Germany. And Germany. As long as they're willing to write checks, it all works. Well, yeah, but they're at the center. So if you have to dilute the GDP by that, okay, the debt goes down immensely to about 7%, 6%. Depends on, uh, you know, who we talk to. But uh, so the numbers there are about half of what we have. So I'm not that worried about Europe. Uh, Visibly, Asia, the BRICS, all these people... The, How about not Japan? only they're doing well, they're more uh, robust. Uh, Japan definitely. Uh, the the I mean, people have been. It's a disaster that has been uh, creeping on us, creeping <laughs> for a long time, yeah. uh, fiscally, visibly. But they had and, and demographically as well. And, and, uh, from all standpoint, but and now that they have that shock, we don't know what can happen. But the Japanese uh, had the luxury of selling us cars. So they had a big government deficit, which is very fragilizing. But at the same time, they were getting cash, mm-hmm. and they have a high, they had a high saving rate that absorbed it. So that was okay, and they could keep that government Ponzi, that general economic Ponzi, Ponzi. You get the idea. But here, we don't have anything. We don't have the same situation here as Japan, because not only you have a high government deficit. But it's coupled with a big current account deficit. Exactly, current account deficit. So, so you're you're you need cash. Yeah. Well, there are some people who would say that that part of the reason that um, we have a very different pattern than than Germany and Japan is that Germany and Japan used export-led growth until they became so large that it was very hard for the rest of the world to accept their exports and that we became sort of the buyer of last resort, which is probably letting us off the hook too much. Maybe but, it could let you off the hook for a while, but at some point, no. But the same the problem way- arises with China, which also has pursued an export-led strategy and needs at some point to have balanced internal growth to, to uh, that is, that, 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 stabilize. That's true, but, but, but I'm, I'm looking at the risks from a risk standpoint mm-hmm. for tomorrow. What would be the worst thing that can happen to us? The, 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 these countries, at least, you know, don't run as much as we do the following situation. They come, they have to raise 1.5 trillion for next year, okay? And then I have to find buyers. We have some domestic savings, some, a few people willing to spend, okay? Uh, the rest of the world may buy some, and then they've got no buyers. So they got to call Bernanke to come do his uh, quantitative easing again right, <laughs> to buy the bonds. You, you, you see, this is the... the and we have a set of rules developing for banks that will require them to buy bonds, which is a little bit worrisome the world over. Yeah. Well, I mean, instead of lending for their business, so they shut off the rest of the thing. So you realize mm-hmm. uh, it was what I call the situation of, of, uh, of uh, you know, failed auctions or not being able to, to find buyers and then yeah. having to fudge things so they can play that game. And then the rest of the world would see it, and I would say, "Okay, I'm not touching that currency." You see, 
I'm not touching that currency. And that's surely going to be a hard landing. Definitely, there will be a rude awakening. And, and of the money we're spending, um, in my new book, Anti-Fragility, I look at a mm-hmm. uh, few uh, things. But among, uh, the, the, you realize that uh, it's like when you short volatility, you keep postponing the blow up, postponing the blow up. Mm-hmm. The longer uh, you wait, the worse it gets. But we have solutions. The, one of the solutions is, I mean, f- visibly, is to cut right away, clean up the cancer right away, take, take bite the pill. Uh, the, the, uh, do we have uh, the political will to do that? No. Plus, we have moral hazards, creeping moral hazard at the level of the, the bankers are still more powerful than they were before. And uh, the politicians want to be elected. So we have this moral hazard spread throughout the whole system. The, the problem came from an agency problem. Okay. And the agency problem is more acute today. The pain bonuses for bankers are bigger and bigger. So visibly, you know, there's something yeah. there's something that has not been fixed in the system, and no, no political will, and uh, the the cuts. Okay, w- the, the people don't want to cut. I I have uh, on uh, you know with a collaborator of mine, we looked at medical expenditure and something called iatrogenics. Mm. That because you have this uh, smoking from pharma industry and stuff like that, that effectively we may be able. Solution may come in the form of, uh, uh, you know, people realizing finally that if you cut uh, medical expenditure by half, you see, people may actually live longer. Yes, that's a troubling observation by comparing public health statistics. Exactly, but because if you start looking, comparing public health, and then looking at what we call conditional iatrogenics, uh-huh. because the elective surgeries and all this is where the money goes. Well, and, and a lot what, of it's spent in the last three months of life, uh, and with no particular. Well, no, no, it's just punishing the person to living longer. Yeah. But even in, in during the life of of, of, of human, I mean, we have a high medical expenditure on mostly on things that actually make us uh, sicker. Mm. So, like uh, uh, statin drugs, for example, if you're healthy, okay, and you take statin drugs, visibly, you're not going to get health benefits, but you have a lot of downsides, like short on option. Yeah. The side effects are like short on option. Okay, the value of that short option is not visible. But it takes a while to show, you see. But you can compute it like with, uh, with cancer treatments. A lot of the cancer treatments we know from mammogram studies that if someone has uh, uh, there are a lot of cancers that are uh, the treatment, just leaving the cancer alone doesn't you know, reduce the life as much as the treatment does. Mm. So yes. we have these break-even points from, okay, I mean, with cancer is a little touchy a situation, but there are a lot of situations in which elective surgeries are canceled because hospital strikes. And then the person never comes back. They, they're healed on their own. Mother Nature does a better job. And <laughs> so we have an accidental experiment. <laughs> so, yeah, and, we, and no side effects. So there may be some hope into cutting there, cutting into the military uh-huh. without too much uh, uh, repercussions, cutting places to lower the, the deficit. So maybe pe- people may, I still have a huge hope here, that people may wake up and say, okay, let's do something and overshoot. But it and does require looking at entitlements. There's just it, not uh, enough in the discretionary part of the budget to deal with. Uh, definitely. You have to go everywhere. Do you have any sense of how long we have before the, the hard landing is going to happen? No, before that uh, failed auction or that, that panic? Uh-huh. I mean, I don't know, but it may be actually healthy to have a, a, a good panic because then uh, people realize that you can't borrow for free. As we were born yeah. today, because you know, people won't buy your bonds unless there's a huge premium. So you can't pay Ponzi for you can't play Ponzi. In other words, issue bond, buy them yourself. 
to prop up the price, as has been happening with quantitative easing. Although it's interesting that even even now, with the, the random things happening in the world, you see people flying to quality often still to the U.S. dollar. And I guess because reserve currencies have two attributes, we're good at one and not the other. One is liquidity, which we're sort of unparalleled parallel that producing um, in the treasury bond market. But price stability is, I think, truly at risk at this point. No, I mean, the currencies people have been uh, using uh, are the metals, namely silver and gold, more silver and than gold. And the Swiss franc. Uh, and the Swiss franc and, and the, 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 the Nordic currencies and the, the Canadian and stuff. The dollar comes last. In that. I mean, okay. But there's still a remarkable number of flows. Even when the uncertainty arises in the United States, which is kind of yeah, but but the the, the, the simply people have a habit of allocating extra dollars, extra yeah, this, yeah, extra yeah. that, so they're automatic flows. Plus, uh, you know, the Arabs have to buy um, treasury bonds here, otherwise, uh, you know, they wouldn't be playing the game. You see, they're sort of like there's there's some uh, well, and if you're moving around that that large a sum of money, there are very few options. Exactly, that, there are very few options to park your money. But still, I mean, the dollar is weaker than the the other currencies, including euros. Mm-hmm. The euro now, as we were talking, is 142. That's a lot uh, stronger than it was um, a few months ago. Although that too is probably um, fragile in the sense. Definitely that fragile. The only thing that are more robust are currencies without government. Although I don't know which one uh, is optimal. <laughs> you see, I, I don't know if yeah. gold is the best. Uh, gold is more fragile than a good collection of uh, of what I call repositories of value. Yeah, I think that's quite right because at least they have a good in industrial use Something that, that like puts that a floor on their their price. And, and those of us who are old enough to remember what happened that was right before I came to Wharton, or gold burned a lot of so many people in the Middle East because up until then it was considered the optimal repository yeah. of value. Till people saw the complete destruction of, of that currency as well. Yes. Which means if your world is in gold terms, you had a huge hyperinflation. Not hyperinflation, you had a huge inflation of the world around yeah, yeah. But that's your base currency. Yeah. So we, we have to be careful about repository of values. So again, your advice is to have lots of options and, and diversity. Exactly. A lot of op- optionality. Like, for example, I don't like to buy gold. I'd rather go, go, buy options on gold, either in the form of things that have gold on the ground, uh-huh. because, you know, an, an oil uh, oil field, anything is an option, because you don't have to spend it until exercises, until the price. This is right. Yeah. Uh, the cost of uh, digging or the cost of extracting, okay, uh, are outweighed by the benefits, by, by the, the profits from, from, from the revenues. It's, that's a, a fascinating um, concept that... that um, I think will surely have as as wide an appeal as the whole idea of a black swan because it has left everybody thinking once they think seriously about a black swan is what in the world do I do with it? Yeah, with that. I mean, I rephrase everything. The black swan was initially a short yeah. option. Yeah. I'm saying hey, this is your short option. This is a long option. And now I, I realize I could express it in terms of optionality. Yeah. Okay, I just had to find the right English words for it to explain optionality to non-option traders. Well, that's something you've been really brilliant at. I, I hope to. I mean, I hope it works this time. It's amazing lucky. the extent to which Black Swan has entered the common vernacular. Uh, people have probably not even read the book, but it is one of the few concepts coming out of a serious economic book that 
has gained widespread currency the world over. You see it even in, well, I'm sure, uh, it's hard to pick up a newspaper without seeing some reference to it in one way or another. So I hope you're successful with solutions. I, 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 I hope I'm successful in conveying the, 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 the need to avoid some problems. And yeah. so the solution lies like, I mean, you live, the best thing you can do to live long is avoid smoking. So it's not just solution, maybe like subtractive, not additive, yeah. like negative advice, what not to do. Well, but I think that's helpful. We need a lot more, um, I think, um, a lot less complacency about how much we think we know. And your whole work has been sort of leading us in that direction. And I guess it's probably your, your philosophical bent in the beginning that what we know, in fact, is a lot less than we all believe we do in almost every sphere of life. I know, but it's not harmful in most domains. Well, it isn't if you know There's some domains in which you can, you can be as uh, overconfident as you want without it harming you. Yeah. That seems to be a deep-seated trait <laughs> that behavioral psychologists pick up in virtually every sphere, that uh, we're much more confident about things we know not much about than the evidence warrants. When it gets to financial markets, it can be dangerous, <laughs> but uh, perhaps not in other signs. Uh, again, thank you very much for coming back to campus. We're delighted to have you here and um, really eager to hear your message about uh, how to make a more stable, more robust uh, world to uh, deal with the black swans flying all around us. Thank you very much. Thanks. For, I'm so honored to come back after, I won't say how many years. Neither of us wants to go that way. <laughs> <laughs> for more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.